WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. everybody, welcome to another edition of Out There Radio. My name is Raymond Wiley. And I'm Joe McFall. And we have a very exciting episode for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We are back from an extended hiatus where we were on many, many adventures. Oh, yes. Yes, early summer is a sort of slow time in the college radio circuit. You went to Bonnaroo last week. Shh, don't tell them yet. Oh, well, why not? Because <laughs> we'll get to that later. That, that will come up later on, actually. Yes, so, so some exciting yeah, stuff from yeah. that. Joe's been uh, traveling the countryside, or at least the eastern seaboard as well, in, in search of something. I don't know what. But we have had uh, wonderful adventures while we've been gone, and we hope that you have as well. And we have an exciting and educational and funny show for you guys tonight. What's interesting about our show tonight, Raymond, is that it doesn't necessarily fit any of the four to eight pillars of the show that we have talked about in the past it's not paranormal it's not conspiracy theory necessarily it's not you know what else is there so what are you saying i mean this show's about comedy are, are you saying that comedy is like the outhouse out back behind the edifice of out there radio well no, well it, it kind of is because it, in some ways it's a departure for us is it not <laughs> it is it is but also it's still relevant in some ways oh yeah it, it, it'll get painfully relevant and painfully Referential, well, as referential as yeah. all of our episodes normally are to each other. Yeah. Once we get into this later, but so this yeah. sh- this show is about the martyrs of comedy. The, yeah, the original martyrs of comedy. So we'll be talking about namely Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks. Yes, yes. Um, um, you're probably familiar with one, the other, both, or neither, or neither. Yeah. So um, if you are familiar with either Lenny Bruce or probably more likely Bill Hicks, since he's a little bit more contemporary, um, you might actually hear some clips and stuff tonight that you aren't necessarily as familiar with. Tonight's going to be sort of a biographical sketch of them both, as well as a review of some of their best material and sort of a guide to their different sources and their different albums. Yeah. So, And as well as their similarities. Yes. And you'll see by the end how well this fits into our whole theme of the man holding you down, the man (laughs) getting you down, whatever. Because that's what ends up happening to both of these figures. Um, One of them is destroyed by it. The other is not. Mm -hmm. We'll leave you to guess. We'll tell you the story later. But first. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But first, let's let's make a few quick announcements. Like I said, we are are back. And if if you picked up our last episode, the Manson and the Process Church, the Charlie Crazy Charlie episode, you might have heard us talking about how we're seeking clips from our show yes. for a best of. So if you are clever and know how to use audio editing programs on your computer, which can be obtained for free. Audacity. Audacity being a very good example of that. In fact, I'm watching the program as it records right now. If you know how to use these kind of programs, take your favorite clips from our show Edit them together into a montage. If you can find non-copyrighted music to put behind it, that would be even better. And if you send us something that is even halfway decent, we will run it as part of our last episode, episode 50, five episodes from now. 
Including now, actually. Including, including now. this yes, one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, before we get to the out there news, how you been feeling? I'm pretty good, man. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I've been feeling pretty groovy myself. Pretty busy, like, pretty busy. But I gotta say, I I I've been going through something lately. Oh, I don't yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, some some sort of Joseph Campbell style transformation of consciousness is going on within me, and I think old Bill, you know, Bill Hicks, who we're going to be talking about a lot tonight, has has sort of been a bit of a catalyst for that. So, I don't know. So this is a good time to record this show. Yeah, this is probably about the best time to record good. this show because I have been filled like Bill. With the comedy of hate. <laughs> Excellent. For weeks. I've been the orneriest <laughs> bastard you can possibly imagine for weeks. So, anyway, what's what's new, Joe? Tell me the news. Oh, wait. Tell me the out there news. Out there news. So, yeah, you may have heard. This is actually breaking news from today that the CIA declassified a bunch of documents. Something like you know 702 pages of documents from the Cold War, mostly from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, they just, just uh, General Hayden decided to let him out and be free. Uh, yeah, they, this is part of their new campaign to tell the truth about everything. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, there's actually this quote. This is from the New York Times. He says that Tuesday's document release was part – Tuesday is today, by the way. Tuesday's document release was part of the agency's social contract with the American public to, quote, give those we serve a window into the complexities of intelligence from 40 years ago, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so they've got a social contract with the American people, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, evidently. And a contract on everyone else, mm-hmm, basically, mm-hmm. you know. Right. In fact, that's what part of what this doc, these documents talk about, evidently, is um, you know various assassination plots against Castro and uh, perhaps some mind control stuff as well. Uh, they're actually going by the name Family Jewels, but um, earlier today on the Freedom of Information CIA page, it's F F O I A dot CIA dot gov. I guess you could have searched for Family Jewels and these documents would have come up, but that's recently been changed. So I don't really know. I think they're going to be or are already available online as a whole. So so this was something that was probably already leaked. Like that was probably already available. They just didn't realize it. Well, no, actually a lot of the stuff – no, they, they're, they've they made a conscious decision to release these. Oh, okay. A lot of these have been seen by congressional committees in the 70s starting in like 73 to 76. So this could like, have been a lot of stuff that the church committee yeah, saw that exactly. we never may have seen in hearings or read as part of the public record. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Some of them detail um, you know, just – Little details, for instance, about E. Howard Hunt and Watergate um, and uh, the CIA's domestic spying operations. And uh, like I said, there's stuff about uh, Castro and assassination and perhaps some mind control stuff. And the mafia connection. And, yeah, there's mafia stuff there, too. So it should be some interesting reading once someone – I didn't have time today to read all 700 pages. I actually didn't even come across them. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of the big big news today. So far, <laughs> that ain't the only big news we got today, though. Guess who's back with us? That's right, Mr. Austin Gandy, returning to Out There Radio after a what two or three episode absence. His triumphant return. That's right. <laughs> Do you feel triumphant, Austin? That's a nice chariot you got there, Austin. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it is it is brilliant to be back. It was a crime to stay away for so long from you guys. Uh, on the very similar note, from what you were just talking about, we've got uh, another. Bit of information liberated by the Sunshine Project under the auspices of that same U.S. Freedom of Information Act. This group monitors research into chemical and biological weapons. But, you know, we've talked about these strange government projects that, that really send a, a shiver down your spine. You know, these uh, 
uh, heat rays that can cause your skin to feel like you're on fire. Zombie cockroaches. Yeah, all kinds of, uh, of nefarious devices which smack of the New World Order. But the Sunshine Project has uncovered a, a small collection of heavily funded biological and chemical weapons which have been in development, some of them since 1945, uh, which are almost perplexing in their ingenuity. One of these, for instance, is, let's see, a, a weapon referred to in the documents as a sting-me, attack-me chemical weapon um, used to uh, stimulate biblical swarms of vermin, rats, scorpions, and other desert creatures to, uh, I, I guess through hormones, uh, collect in a certain area, specifically around or in the camps of uh, enemy troops. Another one uh, was considered, which would, after exposure to this chemical, make the skin unbearably sensitive to sunlight. Uh, yet another would uh, cause severe and lasting halitosis, <laughs> so that the enemy forces would be obvious even when they tried to blend in with civilians. But the ultimate one is, uh, has been called the love bomb, and uh, this was env envisaged as a aphrodisiac chemical that would provoke widespread homosexual behavior among troops, causing what the military called a, quote, distasteful but completely non-lethal blow to morale. <laughs> now, this has come under a lot of fire, um, both from the government itself. The, the military obviously does, uh, it wants to underplay the degree to which this was considered. Um, but uh, many critics have, have mentioned uh, that this project alone... Uh, since 1994, received $7.5 million to develop this, quote, gay bomb. Startling and alarming. Um, Captain Dan McSweeney of the Joint Non-Lethal Weapons Directorate at the Pentagon said the Defense, the Defense Department receives literally hundreds of project ideas, but that, quote, none of the systems described in that 1994 proposal have been developed. But I sometimes wonder. I wonder myself, from personal experience, if... These, these weapons have not been tested on American soil. Do you, do you ever... Like you, you've, you've lived out in the country, Joe. You know what it's like to suddenly get a swarm of ladybugs. Yeah, we get these things, interestingly enough, in Florida called love bugs. Mm -hmm. I don't think we get them in Georgia. It's these little bugs that always appear in pairs. They're always mating, and there's seasons where they're just swarming around everywhere. That's my experience with swarms. Yeah, so... Raymond, do you have anything to say about the gay bomb? <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I think that this is really a conspiracy by pimps. Mm. Yes, pimps in foreign countries. In fact, they have infiltrated DARPA, perhaps, Iraqi pimps. Okay, are you, are you following me here? If you drop... Take us through it, Raymond. Okay, if you drop the love bomb on the soldiers, right, but they're in a real, like, uber-disciplined, pent-up environment where, you know... Any horrible thing could happen to them if they give in to their artificial homosexual urges. Perhaps there would be a spike in the amount of um, whoring going on. <laughs> uh, economic boom. That's uh, yes, yeah. exactly. It could stimulate whole economies. I mean, this, this is structural adjustment right here. This is what they were talking about. Mm. Well, what do you think? I, I think it's very compelling as, as a model. And, I mean, Lord knows... Uh, the, the, the puppy pile model of warfare has not been fully, you know, in, investigated. But <laughs> what if, now? What if? Um, okay, 
not to be totally crass, but what if um, what if this uh, love bomb backfires and the enemy soldier starts, um, I guess you know, sodomizing your men en masse, that sodomizing our boys, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you know? the Spartans, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like no guns, no bayonets, just. In, in there, I, I you think know? I think that's against the Geneva Convention, Joe. Yeah, well, clearly, clearly, I think that would probably break many rules. But is that a is it would it be a war crime, punishable by death, et cetera, et cetera? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, it would be a distasteful but completely non-lethal blow to morale either way, <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, many gay rights groups, when they when they were approached with this information, expressed dismay, but also a certain amount of amusement at the idea that mm-hmm. inspiring you know your enemy to become homosexual would somehow prevent their ability to fight effectively. <laughs> right, right. And certainly, anyone familiar with you know the uh, the symposium of Plato understands that indeed erotic attraction between our men in arms can actually be a great bolstering to their their fighting spirit. This introduces an interesting twist to the don't ask don't tell policy too because now we ha- now our our boys have uh, an excuse say if they're caught in in nefarious acts with mm-hmm. each other they can say look I think our enemy has developed a gay bomb and I've gotten struck you know <laughs> Well, we, we've got to fund this more. We can't let there be a gay bomb gap. <laughs> oh. Amazing. But this does bring about, you know, anytime there is the development of, uh, of dangerous new weapons, um, you do have to, to stop and ponder the, the end game scenario of, you know, the escalation of conflict. Um, nuclear uh, confrontation is always, you know, a, a permanent threat um, from, you know, from now on, but what about you know the in-game scenario? We've we've t- we're talking about you know biblical swarms of insects and people becoming unbearably sensitive to sunlight. But what about that day when the ultimate gay bomb is dropped and the whole world's drinking water is polluted with that gay bomb has a cobalt casing. <laughs> It is a fascinating prospect, and I would love to see a movie made around that premise. Yeah, the, the, the day after the gay bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, you. how do you measure um, the magnitude of the blast of a gay bomb or of a love bomb? Let, or let, let's be fair about this. This could go either way. Sure, sure. I mean, we could just as easily call it a straight bomb, I guess. Oh, whatever. Maybe. It doesn't sound as funny. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) So what what was your question again, Raymond? Say it again. Oh, whatever. Let's just move on. (laughs) Great story, Austin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Any uh, any closing thoughts on this? Make love, not war. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That was easy enough. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Austin Gandy. The return of the invisible college. The triumphant return. And from what I hear, I mean, this this is just the rumor. Okay, this is just what the paparazzi is saying these days. But um, I, the rumor has it that Austin has, in fact, been uh, working on his own podcast. Ooh, perhaps has his really? own. Perhaps has his own radio program in the works. Is this true, Austin? I'm not in a position to confirm or deny any such rumors, but uh, it would it would do you well to just uh, keep your radios tuned to out there for further updates. Excellent, excellent. You heard the man. You heard the man. That's right. Um. So yes. So we've, uh, well, we, we've gone a good quarter hour into this thing. We should take a very brief break. We'll uh, we'll get you warmed up on our 
comedians, our original martyrs of comedy, who are social critics and some even conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. in their own right. So I'm going to open you up with a clip, I guess from Bill Hicks, but maybe we'll surprise you. Who knows? Yeah. Be back in a minute here on Out There Radio. Stick around. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. Time to evolve ideas. We, you know, evolution did not end with us growing thumbs. You do know that, right? <laughs> didn't end there. We're at the point now where we, we're going to have to evolve ideas. The reason the world's so fucked up is we're undergoing evolution. And the reason our institutions, our traditional religions are all crumbling is because they're no longer relevant. <laughs> they, they're no longer relevant. So it's time for us to create a new philosophy and perhaps even a new religion, you see. And that's okay because that's our right because we are free children of God with minds who can imagine anything. And that's kind of our role. (laughs) How do you evolve ideas? I'll give you an example right here. By the way, there are more dick jokes coming. Please relax. (laughs) I know I'm starting to lose them a little bit here with this shit. I'm like digging a fucking hole right now. And another thing. Where the hell did Bill go? He dug himself right through the planet. I hear people heckling in Chinese right now. Why why you don't do dick jokes? Do dick jokes. Win crowd back. No one wants to hear your philosophy. They want to hear dick joke. Wow, what a completely rational heckler. Hmm. They pay to hear dick jokes, not to hear you talk about the President Bush. Here's how you evolve an idea. I'll give you an example. Why is the drug czar of this country... Well, let's go back. Why do we have a drug czar in this country? A. B. Why is he a cop? Why isn't he a guy in recovery who's had an alcohol and or drug addiction and overcome it? And why doesn't he help people with the same problem with compassion rather than condemnation? Why do we put people who are on drugs in jail? They're sick. They're not criminals. Sick people don't get healed in jail. See, it makes no sense. And if we evolve the idea, you see, the planet might be more compassionate and something like heaven might dawn. I want everyone here to take the five dried grams I taped under your all chairs right now. Under your chairs. Check them out. Check them out. Under your chair. Let's go, man. The fucking UFOs are waiting in the fifth dimension. Let's go. We'll do it later. We'll do it as a closer. Shit. Mushrooms grow naturally on the planet. They're against the law. Marijuana grows naturally on the planet. It's against the law. Do you think making nature against the law seems a bit, I don't know, unnatural? And we are back. Hope you enjoyed that clip. Yes, a little preview of what is to come. But wait, 
Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking out there news. <laughs> Recent documents have surfaced. In fact, in the last 10 minutes while we were out on our smoke break, Recent documents have surfaced, and they point to a, apparently, much wider gay bomb gap between us and the Iraqis than we first had realized. Oh my, oh my. Wait for it, wait for it. NORAD is going to have to update their gaydar system. Yes, yes. Advanced gaydar. <laughs> right, where's my symbol, my rim shot over here? Oh, well. See, <laughs> I've been listening to comedians for a week, getting ready for this damn show. And it showed me that perhaps comedian may not be the best profession for me. <laughs> I don't you can know. stick to podcast hosts for at least Ex- for a little while. Exactly. Longer. At least right. you can edit it after the fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, speaking of comedians, Joe, who's this guy, Lenny Bruce? Oh, Lenny Bruce. You may have heard the name Lenny Bruce from various other, I don't know, songs that or R. movies. R. Song, or, yeah, yeah. R.E.M. song. Um, there's actually a list of sort of where he's come up in popular culture. I don't have to read it, actually. It's not really that interesting. But suffice to say that he comes <laughs> up a lot in popular culture. So who's Lenny Bruce? Um, he's actually, you know, well, well, he's known as a comedian. Um, he was performing a lot in the late 50s uh, up through the early to mid-60s. I guess, what we'll, I guess what we'll do is first start talking about his early life and career. Um, and then we're gonna, we have some clips. If, if you've never heard Lenny Bruce, now, now is the time. We compiled a bunch of clips to play on the show tonight from various recordings that we have. Right, and we'll spend about, oh, 45 minutes to an hour talking about Lenny, and then we'll, we will do a very similar format and speak of Lenny, or, uh, speak of uh, Bill Hicks and combine and compare the two. Yeah, in fact, we can even start now because both of them are comedians, uh, social critics, satirists. And Raymond, you know, the way I see it is that any good comedian should be a satirist and a social critic and be aware of what's going around them and be able to comment in a way that makes people laugh on, you know, on, on social ills or political injustice and this sort of thing. Right. And I think I, I've heard them both, both of the people that we're going to talk about tonight or that we are talking about tonight, speak about this idea that a comedian or a social critic, a good social critic, finds the things in the world that defy his reason. Yeah. You know, and that's what's the easiest thing to comment on and you poke at it and poke at it until everybody has sort of this like group cathartic experience, right. I guess. And that's, even though the actual comedy that these people did was very, a lot of times lewd mm-hmm. even, you yeah. know, and dirty, dirty. Yeah. <laughs> that still comes across. You still have that cathartic and moment. In fact, with Lenny Bruce, uh, as we'll see, it's what ended up bringing him down in the long run. He actually, uh, we'll talk about his, his entire life as much as we can tonight, but he died in 1966 from a morphine overdose after years of uh, basically harassment by the judicial system um, and by law enforcement. So we will get to that and sort of that, the effect that that had on his career. But first, let's just talk about, you know, who was Lenny Bruce? Um, so he was born October 13th, 1925, as Leonard Alfred Schneider. Uh, he was born in Mineola, Long Island, New York. Uh, his parents divorced when he was five years old, and he moved in with various relatives over the next decade. His mother, Sally Marr, was a stage performer who had an enormous influence on his career. He joined the U.S. Navy at the age of 17 in 1942. Um, he saw active duty in Europe until his discharge in 1946. In 1947, he changed his last name to Bruce and uh, started basically started doing stand-up. This is actually an interesting note. And You were going to say something, Raymond? Uh, yeah, just that I thought you had, you had told me the story of how he got started as a comedian. 
uh, earlier, and that that just seems so bizarre to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, he he actually working at your mother's strip club. Well, let's say it was like more <laughs> a, of a nightclub that had burlesque shows. Okay, say you know d- because the the term strip club doesn't necessarily have the same connotation for us now as it would have say in you know 1952 or 1955 right cuz strip clubs and or burlesque clubs in 1955 weren't necessarily totally nude women dancing well except for the high heels dancing on poles you know what i mean like a, a burlesque show was you, you know more of like a, a tease show the woman took you know a good 15 minutes or so to slowly dance around you know, stripping off items of clothing until the very last second she was totally nude and ran off the stage, you know. Well, Lenny uh, ended up getting uh, started in comedy as an MC at one of these burlesque nightclubs that his mother was running at the time. And there's actually an interesting story from uh, his biography. There's actually a, a great biography, probably the one you'd want to get if you were interested in Lenny Bruce, by Albert Goldman. It's called Lenny, uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, Lenny Bruce. So one of the stories that he tells is that Lenny had been you know, doing comedy in this club for quite some time. He was the MC, right? He was the guy who would uh, come on between, between the girls and tell stories or whatever, do, do bits, do some comedy, do routines or whatever. And that's sort of where he started developing his routine. One night, in fact, and this is sort of uh, emblematic of what Lenny ended up, the kind of thing that he ended up doing in terms of you know, social criticism and sort of questioning the ideals and mores of society. Right after this you know, set, this, this girl's stripping right doing her tease show she takes a good 15 or 20 minutes until the very last second you know strips off she's all naked runs off the stage and lenny is waiting he comes onto stage totally naked like acting totally nonchalant right just saunters on stage buck naked and everyone's like huh you know and he's like what are you you know what are you looking at what what's the matter like i'm you know you see people you see women getting nude in this stage every night and here i am nude and you're shocked He's like, what's wrong with this? You know, so that's sort of how he started, beca- you know, questioning society's standards. So Lenny Bruce's early comedy career included uh, writing screenplays for Dance Hall Racket in 1953. I don't know if they have that at our local independently owned video store. They had it at one I used to go to in Atlanta, actually, which featured him and his wife, Honey Harlow, and his mother, Sally Marr. Also, Dream Follies in 1954, which was like a burlesque film. And he also wrote a children's film called The Rocket Man in 1954. I've never seen these. They might be online. I don't know. Check video Google. And he also released four albums of original material with rants, comic routines, satirical uh, interviews, and the themes that made him famous. So these are the themes that he always comes back to. Jazz, moral philosophy, politics, patriotism, religion, law, race, abortion, Drugs, the KKK, Jewishness, Catholicism, and on and on. Anything that would ruffle someone's feathers at the time, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, what we have tonight, we actually have some, uh, to explore a a few of those themes, we have some clips that we can sort of talk about. So, in fact, uh, let's. You want to start sort of talking about the clips, Raymond, sort of getting this stuff. Or? Yeah, and let's also be sure to to cite these as best we can as we go through. That way, people can yeah, check yeah. them out or check out the long form version of this stuff themselves. So, yeah, let's actually. What's let, our first clip tonight? Well, let, let's actually first talk about where a lot of these come from. First of all, there's it's a, like a six, a six disc album a CD that was released in 2004 of all of uh, his original albums. It's called Let the Buyer Beware. 
So that's where a lot of these clips are coming from. Um, there's also various other albums, like uh, there's a two-disc Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall performance, which is sort of the peak as, of his career, and various other stuff. Some books that you might want to check out before we forget about this is, like I, I mentioned, the Albert Goldman biography called Ladies and Gentlemen, Lenny Bruce. There's also an autobiography called How to... Uh, how to Talk Dirty and Influence People. So there's also another book. This one's called The Essential Lenny Bruce, edited by John Cohen. It's actually a book of his bits. So whereas his autobiography includes some bits, and it's but it's written by him and it is more autobiographical. The Essential Lenny Bruce by John Cohen is actually a book of his bits. But really, there's no good way to, to grasp Lenny Bruce until you hear him speak. So let's talk about this first set of clips. These first ones actually uh, pertain to Lenny's interest in drugs. First of all, Lenny was kind of a beatnik. I mean, that was sort of his era. He was into jazz. It was the late 50s, you know. Right. This is this is really the beginning of the time when the use of marijuana really hit in the white culture, I think, in the U.S. right around this I believe time. so, like reefer madness and yeah. that kind of thing. Well, you know, that was sort of bef- before, and I think... I mean, I think jazz brought that into the culture a lot, but I, th- yeah. I think it took I think it took some time for it to really sink in. Well, you'll hear yeah. in a second, and Lenny say some interesting things about marijuana. Let's get to this first clip first, though. All right. This one is uh, called Airplane Glue. So I think that's self-explanatory. <laughs> let's, let's go to it. Enjoy. There were kids, eight and nine years old, that were sniffing airplane glue to get high on. <laughs> These kids are responsible for turning musicians on a lot of things they never knew about, actually. So... I had a fantasy, how it happened. Kid is alone in his room, it's Saturday. Kid is played by George McCready. <laughs> well, let's see now, I'm all alone in the room and it's Saturday. I'll make an airplane, that's what I'll do. I'll make a land cast, a good structural design. I'll get the wood here, cut it out, sand it off. Now a little airplane glue, I'll rub it on the rag and, uh... Here now. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm getting loaded. Is this possible loaded on airplane glue? Maybe it's stuffy, you know. I'll call my dog over. Filica? Filica, come here, darling, and smell this rag. Smell it, you freaky little doggy. <laughs> smell the rag, Filica. Filica. Filica! He's up there. I've done it. I'm the Louis Pasteur of junkydom. <laughs> Out of my skull for ten cents. Well, there's much work to be done now. Horses hooves to melt down. Noses to get ready. Cut to the toy store. Any toy store. Any neighborhood. Kid walks in. Hello, Schindler. Nice the way you got here. <laughs> Give me a nickel's worth of pencils. Big boy tablet. Some juju beans. Tailspin Tommy book. And 2,000 tubes of aeroplane glue. <laughs> I hope you can sleep tonight, Mr. Lee Page. So, yeah, that was uh, Lenny Bruce, Airplane Glue. This next clip uh, actually is also sort of a similar vein, where Lenny sort of talks a little more about drugs, especially marijuana, and, you know, compares marijuana to alcohol in a a way that actually might foreshadow something we might hear later on in this show from Bill Hicks, I believe. So... One thing, though, Lenny Bruce, I mean, like I said, he ended up dying of a morphine overdose in 1966. He did use drugs. He says in this clip that he didn't use any of the hallucinogens. Marijuana, he includes, but also mushrooms, mescaline, LSD, whatever. 
it, it turns out Lenny was more into pills, so stuff that he could get by prescription. By and by prescription in the late fifties and early sixties included stuff like amphetamine, you know, morphine, and on and on. Although drugs ended up being a part of his downfall in a very literal sense. I mean, he died of an overdose. He he did have a, a particular take on drugs that wasn't uh, very popular in the late 50s and early 60s. But was right in line with this whole beatnik ideal that exactly. we're talking about. Or that, you know, he sort of... And you can hear it in the way he talks. I mean, you know... Well, here, you can just hear yeah, it. Yeah, let's, let's go to this one. Okay, now we're going to leave you now with $375,000 stone, aptly named. Uh, then we have some marijuana. They found uh, eight marijuana cigarettes that's worth two and a quarter million dollars on the <laughs> retail market. They set the, 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 the heat set the, the price. Yeah. How much shit selling for? We'll just look at paper. It's, um, marijuana will be legal in five years because most of you know law students that smoke marijuana who become senators or legalize to protect themselves. Now, you'll notice all the nod. Uh, they give themselves away. He's got his finger in his eye now, and... It doesn't hurt. It'll hurt tomorrow, though. That's it. Especially, yes, especially when he uh, says, uh, oh, I got something in my nose. Ah! <laughs> Thanks, sir. It's okay. Uh, flush it. Flush it down the toilet. All right, yeah. Throw it away. Throw it away. Throw it away. They've turned the water off. You're screwed. The water's off in the basement. <laughs> it's all over for you. The boat sail, brother. Okay, best just give yourself up and say, I tried it once when I was a kid. <laughs> Some guy, a Puerto Rican gave it to me in the park. <laughs> That's all. Um, it's, I, I don't know. The park, for years we've seen these men in the park, the flashes, you know. So you heard Lenny in that clip say that he thinks marijuana will be legalized in the next five years. <laughs> because every, all all the law students he knows smokes pot, right? Exactly. So you know that never ended up coming true, which is an interesting thing to right. in and, itself. And but. now you've got now the judges do, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. The Supreme Court justices do. Right. Now you know. <laughs> um, actually, Clarence. That was one thing that Clarence Thomas admitted to, for instance, during his um, confirmation uh, in the Senate. Really? But, yeah. That admitted, as a judge. Not he while he was a judge, okay. but it, maybe in law school he had. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, let's move on. What else we got from... Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about race, because obviously this is a big issue in the late 50s and early 60s. You know, civil rights movement was just getting its steam. Right. But you got to also think about the crowd yeah. that, a, that a comedian would, would have in front of them at this point, at this period in time. I mean, if you can think of a white bread kind of audience... Than a comedy audience at a club in the late fifties is it? Yeah, man. you know. Yeah, I mean that's the alcohol culture where it lives. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? Well, Lenny seemed to. You know, he he was patronized by more of a jazz culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. So his audiences, especially in certain cities like San Francisco and New York, tended to be more integrated in a time when a lot of the country wasn't. So it isn't like you're. Vegas act where everybody's just Caucasian, right? Basically, right. Especially or European looking, yeah. especially as he gained popularity, and he has, as you've heard in the clips so far, he has that sort of jazz cadence, and he right. uses the lingo of the, the parlance of the times, right? So, so you can see how he may have 
a wider a wider audience may have been more responsive to what he was doing. Now he was also talking a lot about race, and unfortunately, there's this great clip that we can't play on this show, but go listen go listen to other Lenny Bruce stuff to find it. There's actually before we play this clip, there's this movie. Uh, starring Dustin Hoffman called Lenny. It's based on a play about Lenny Bruce. It was the play was written in 1961, I think, or 71 rather. The movie came out a year or two later. It's actually a great biopic, I guess, is the way, the way they term those things now. You know, biography of Lenny Bruce. But um, that that the bit I was referring to that we can't play in this show is in that in that movie delivered by Dustin Hoffman, of course. But this one is called uh, How to Relax Your Colored Friends at a at a, at parties. Um, which is a good clip. I think it's like six minutes long. Go to that. All right. Now, Eric Miller, I have known for four years. Eric Miller and I were in a row together. Eric Miller is a jazz guitarist. Eric Miller is an intellect. Eric Miller has good taste because it's my good taste. Maybe not your good taste. Date, there's another switch a bit. But I dig Eric Miller. Eric and I work together in Miami. He sang... And I talk, then I say, Eric, want to do a bit with me? That's not my stick talking, but okay. We'll do a bit, and we'll ad-lib it and fool around with it. And we did a bit, and then the bit found form. And it got flaps. We're at the party now. And Eric being colored, he would be a musician. There are very few integrated parties, which does not make the people who do not have colored people at the parties bigoted. Because you don't know colored people to invite them as props as Crow Jim. Now, parties and swing, and the humor comes from the now becoming obscure white person's concept of how do you relax colored people at parties? And in the bit, I play the white guy. Pleasure indeed, sir. Mm-hmm. Pleasure indeed. <laughs> you know that Joe Lewis was a hell of a fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that again, Joe. Lewis was a hell of a fighter. Credit your race. Don't you forget it, you son of a gun. Well, thank you very much. That's perfect. All right. Uh, here's the Bojangles. Yeah, here's the Bojangles. <laughs> yeah. I used to watch him on the television all the time, eh? Uh-huh. Uh, them show people are all right. Um, I guess you know a lot of people in the show business, huh? Yeah, quite a few in my travels. Uh, what the hell is that? I'm bad on names. Uh, Aunt Jemima. <laughs> no, no, I don't know Aunt Jemima. Uh, what the hell is that guy? Uh, you know that guy in a cream of wheat box? <laughs> no, I don't know him on the cream of wheat box. Oh, well... Uh, Here's the step and fetcher. Yeah, here's the step and fetcher. <laughs> he ruined himself, though. Coca-Cola and white women did it to him. Yeah. Probably had a good career. You know, uh, I did all the construction here. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did all the paint. And these heaps. You're not Jewish, are you? No. Uh, no offense, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Someone call me a heave, I'll knock him right in the rear. Like that. Oh. As long as you understand, you know. I mean, what the, I mean, uh, I don't know how you feel about them integrating stuff. I mean, uh, I don't I don't care what the hell a guy is, as long as he keeps in his place, you know what I mean? That's how I feel about it. Here's to uh, all the colored people. <laughs> anyway, I start in here, and these marks are Jewish people now. They say to me, wait a minute. So he says, look, darling, what you going to do, darling? You're going to put the paint up here. But you guys Chinese, I do all that stuff too. Uh, anyway, uh, look at this color he picked up. Is that ridiculous? No, I don't think so. I think that's very interesting how they use the doofy blue with so many other pastel. That sounds like a lot of commie horse shit to me. <laughs> doofy blue. Yeah, the doofy blue. Is that what they call it? You're all right. You're a white Jew, you son of a gun. I like it. You're okay. You know, I just realized something. What's that? I'm integrating and touching you, for Christ's sake. <laughs> See that? If I didn't touch you, you're all right. You're all right. You're all right, you son of a gun. You're okay. Thank you. I like you. You're all right. Listen, did you get anything to eat yet? No, I'm kind of hungry. I wish I had a sandwich or something. Oh, boy. You know, you gotta, you got to eat before you drink. I would take a teaspoon of olive oil. Yeah? <laughs> That's what you do. And then you can drink all night. I'm really getting pissed, I'm telling you, buddy. Well, look. As long as you drink this stuff, you stay away from drugs. That's right. Look. You know what? I'm gonna get you something to eat. I don't know if there's any fried chicken here, uh, watermelon, but, uh... I'll get something you like. And I'll get him a lot of it for you. I'll get you all the watermelons in the world. Because <laughs> I love you, that's right. I'll get you all the watermelons and the fried chicken in the world. Well, sing a song about the fried chickens and the watermelon in the world. Mmm, we'll get you all the fried chicken and the watermelon in the world. All the watermelon in the world. All the watermelon in the world. Here's to Paul Robeson. <laughs> you know, I'd like to have you over the house. Well, thank you. I'd like to come over. Do you like that? It'll be dark soon. Uh... <laughs> oh. I'd have you over the house. Look, you can come over my house if you promise you don't do it to my sister. Look, you don't want no heat plowing your sister. And I don't want no coon doing it to my sister. That's all. You can understand that, can you? It doesn't make any difference to me, just as long as he's a nice Come on, what do you want, a weed or something? All right? Okay, okay. Here's to the Mau Maus. <laughs> so, yeah, that was How to Relax Your Colored Friends at Parties. Raymond, what's your take on that? I think it would work really well today. Yeah. Because I think, I think white people are just as uncomfortable around people of other races now as they ever were, especially in our sort of suburban yeah. uh, climate, especially here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I thought that was great, you know, and I think it worked because he was able to bring a second person into the bit. Right, right. You know, and sort of legitimized, I think, the statement even more. Right, you know, right. Especially cause, because the... Um, 
the person who you know who is black in the skit is just playing it off like oh it's nothing like he's just being totally like right. he's just ignoring right he's you the know? you know he's the straight man of the exactly. two right exactly but but i think it makes this great comment about how even some of the liberal elements of the society in the 50s and 60s who who claim to be so progressive about people of color or of minorities whatever were really just as uncomfortable as their parents were being around them and even living around them yeah. in this in the case here because i mean the statement is of course you know people have parties all the time but how often do they bring a person from another race to right. their party you know right and this is i think you know where lane bruce material really shines because this is I mean, what what that clip was was social commentary, was social criticism. You yes, know? it's in many ways um, instructive, right? Or or at least as as good comedy should, it holds a mirror up to our own prejudices. It lets us see ourselves in a particular light. You know, absolutely. And I think that that's what that's what Lenny Bruce was good at doing, and that's sort of what he's known for and respected for. Yeah, and we've got some some other examples of that right now. Actually, yeah, what do we got? Yeah. What do we got next? Let's well, he, some other of his you know big themes were uh, religion and the law. Um, so we've got actually a few clips. Should we just play these in sequence, Raymond? Or well, let's talk let's, about let's, let's play let's... these first two in sequence, and then before we play that third, we'll come back. Okay. So these next two clips. This first one is called "If Your Body Is Dirty." And the one after that is called What Should Be and What Is. Um, so in these, he's going to talk about sort of his takes on religion. Religion was a big issue with him. Lenny, Lenny Bruce was Jewish. He was a staunch critic of the Catholic Church, but also of, of Judaism. He was always interested in, in you know, how religion fit into our society as an institution in the same way that the government is an institution. Yes, I agree. And I think many of his, I don't want to say anti-Catholic jokes, but many of his jokes, which poked fun at the Catholic Church, blazed the way for people like George Carlin to yeah. come along just 10, 10 years later. Not even Not that even. long. Yeah, because George Carlin was mid to late 60s yeah. when he came on the scene. He, right after. Right know? after Lenny Bruce. And that's, that's the anchor of his routines to this day, a lot of it, is this rage that he felt towards, yeah. you know, the, uh, and the nuns at his Catholic school yeah, or yeah. whatever. And you know? this, it seems like, you know, Lenny Bruce was a real tra- uh, trailblazer in this sense because this kind of humor wasn't really, you know, it wasn't popular in that culture. It wasn't acceptable. Half the time it wasn't even legal. Yeah. And I think, and that's that's the big thing we're going to keep coming back around to with this is that Lenny, of the two people we talk about in this episode, Lenny's the one who pays the price for real. Yeah. Like he's he's the martyr that really gets it stuck to it. Exactly. You know? And he pays the price for all of the comedi- comedians who come after him, including George Carlin, including Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, Bill right. Hicks. Agreed. You know, yeah. Robin uh, Williams, so on. Everyone, you know. So that, I mean, that's certainly something to keep in mind is that, you know, when you're listening to this, you're like, oh, well, you know, what he's saying is, seems kind of mild to me, which, you know, for someone who I grew up in the you know, 80s, Raymond, you grew up in the 80s and 90s, like it's probably it's pretty mild compared to the stuff that we're accustomed to having grown up on, you know, a station like Comedy Central, which shows stand up all the time. You know what I mean? Right. We see stand up and we think of a particular thing. Part of that is because that thing was sort of set up and allowed because of what Lenny Bruce died for. Basically. Yeah. Basically. And I think 
I think we'll we'll come back to this yeah, a lot yeah. more. I think as the time goes on. But let's let's give the audience a taste of exactly what it was, the type of thing it was that got Lenny into so much trouble. Yeah. So these these next two clips are about Lenny's take on religion. Enjoy. Now, if the bedroom is dirty to you, then you are a true atheist. Because if you have any of the mores, the superstitions, if anyone in this audience believes that God made his body and your body is dirty, the fault lies with the manufacturer. It's that cold, Jim, yeah. If you can do anything with a body that God made, and then you want to get definitive and tell me of the parts he made, I don't see that anywhere in any reference to any Bible. Made it all, it's all clean, all dirty. But the ambivalence comes from the religious leaders who are celibates. The religious leaders are what should be. They say they do not involve themselves with the physical. If we are good, we will be like our rabbi, our nun, our priest, and absolve and finally put down the carnal and stop the race. Now, I think this is stranger. Everybody today in the hotel was bugged with night and Nixon. Let me tell you the truth. The truth is what is. If what is, you have to sleep eight, ten hours a day. That is the truth. A lie will be people need no sleep at all. Truth is what is. If every politician from the beginning is crooked, there is no crooked. <laughs> but if you are concerned with a lie, what should be, and what should be is a fantasy, a terrible, terrible lie that someone gave the people long ago, this is what should be, and no one ever saw what should be, that you don't need any sleep and you can go seven years without sleep, so all the people were made to measure up to that dirty lie. No, there's no crooked politician. There is never a lie, because there is never a truth. So, yeah, that was uh, two clips on religion from Lenny Bruce. Not um, three, Not Joe. three, just God. two. Sorry about that. Sometimes my fingers, you know, I'm counting on them. Just don't count right. I know. You, maybe yeah. you should move your lips when you count. I know. I, well, but it's hard to do that when I'm speaking into a microphone. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's all just I, so much, Raymond. It's I, hard. It's hard, really hard it's to keep like, track of. Yeah, I know. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Radio is is really just. It's a craft. Right. It's right. such a craft sitting right. here, talking to you all. <laughs> in complete comfort. <laughs> yeah. Without you in front of me to make me nervous. Anyway, moving yeah, on. Yeah, let's let's start talking about the sort of the the downfall of Lenny Bruce, because as uh, you know, as as you just heard from the clips, he was very interested in social institutions and undermining them with comedy. Which, as I said, I think that's what a good comedian should do. Right, and it's what Bill Hicks did, as Agreed. we'll see. And it is no different from what so many of the investigative journalists that we have talked about on this show have done, and the writers. And the psychedelic pioneers, whatever you want to call them, countercultural icons, they're all doing the same thing. They're all trying to tear at this edifice. And whether you do it with laughter or whether you do it by making people scared out of their wits like 
a William Cooper, maybe. It's it's all for the same purpose, and I think if you can realize that, then you can understand why we're we're doing this episode, right? Now. Yeah, so. I pref- I like I like satire personally. Like I I like when social institutions are undermined through satire well, through ta- laughter. It takes the edge off of it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you. We'll go back to the Infowars example. You come to the end of info of an Infowars episode or of a we- old William Cooper Hour of the Time episode, and you're just like you want to jump off a building and shoot yourself <laughs> right. on the way down, you and know? maybe take out a few like police officers with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I. That's why I respect comedians who can do what these people do. You know, so let's um let's get to his obscenity. Yeah, because stuff his obscenity trial or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This you know, this ends up being very interesting because this whole time when Lenny is doing these bits on drugs, on race, on religion, on law on the KKK, on abortion, on Hitler, on, you know, just everything. Like, you know, really no holds barred. And like I said... No words barred. No words barred either. Until, like, there's some cops in the room with him. And then some words become barred. Um, You know, Lenny actually ended up getting arrested on October 4th, 1961 for obscenity, for saying one of those seven words that we're not allowed to say on, uh, On on, on the air. Right. So... He, he'll talk about it in the, the next clips that we'll play, but before we get to those, I just want to say that that's sort of when his legal troubles started. He was arrested at the jazz workshop in San Francisco because of his, I guess, you know, some sexually explicit stuff because was, that was sort of another theme is like the relationships between men and women and sex and this sort of thing. Um, but also just kind of, you know, throwing out words in general conversation the way that people of his generation might typically use them and in fact the people of our generation as well you right know to I mean? an even greater degree yeah now. exactly i mean the way the, the the way the f word is used for example i mean by by anybody mm-hmm. now this this obscenity arrest gained lenny bruce notoriety for being uh what many people termed a sick uh comic so sick comedy um was kind of what he was known for um, so while many people went to see his naughty mouth, what they actually got when they when they sat down and listened to him was this, you know, a, a, a socially critical rant. For, yeah, I got a dose of modern philosophy. Exactly, you know? exactly. And one of his famous quotes is, I'm not a comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce. Okay, so that's he didn't really think of himself necessarily as a comedian. I mean, he loved to make people laugh, and that was his gig, that's what he did. But really what he considered himself was... Uh, you know, a philosopher and social critic. And he got on stage and did that thing. And, you know, people laughed and he enjoyed himself. You know, that's what he loved doing. Um, so to be arrested for obscenity, not only once, but multiple times. It, you know, after after some time, he he had become a target everywhere, every city he went to. Club owners wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him do his routines because they were being afraid of, they were afraid of being arrested for obscenity as well. So uh, eventually... He was pretty much barred from everywhere he went. And, in fact, his act suffered a lot as well. That's weird because now, you know, it'd be the exact opposite. You know, yeah. Marilyn Manson world tour. He gets kicked out of Salt Lake City or whatever. Just mm-hmm. makes it bigger. Sell more albums. Right. Back then, they could really, really bury you. Exactly. When they, could, they could really say, you'll never work in this town again. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. and oftentimes he wouldn't. And so the last five years of his life then, you know, start, he was arrested in 61 for the first time for obscenity. By 66, when he died, 
his career really went downhill to the point where, uh, you know, he would take up large portions of his act, literally reading legal transcripts from his trials. So these next two clips actually sort of examples of that. Well, the first one I think might uh, is called blah blah blah. And I'll, I'll before... denoting the three syllable uh, word that got yeah. him arrested. Starts with a C, ends with an R. Yeah, that's all. You can guess what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this first one is called blah blah blah, and I think this is probably shortly after he his first round of obscenity trials, because unlike the second clip you'll hear, this one is actually kind of funny. The way he sort of talks about being in the courtroom and being on trial. So let's go to that clip. Blah blah blah. The bust. What I got arrested for in San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco, I got arrested for... Uh, what did they, we can hear that, Daddy. Um, I'm not going to repeat the word because I want to finish the gig here tonight. It's, uh, uh, they said it was, it was vernacular for a favorite homosexual practice, a ten-letter word. Uh, it's really chic. There's two four-letter words in a preposition. <laughs> I can't... Uh, I wish I could tell you the word. It um, starts with a C. Well, you know what the word is. Now, it's weird how they manifested that word as homosexual, because I don't. That relates to any contemporary chick I know or would know or would love or would marry, you know. And uh, now when I took the bust, I finished the show, I said that word, you know, the ten-letter word, and he comes over and says, um, uh, Lenny, my name is Sergeant Blum You know the word you said? I said a lot of words that time. Well, that, that word. Oh, yeah. Well, Lenny, that's against the Lord, and I'm going to take it down. Okay, that's cool. It's against the law to say it and to do it. Well, I didn't do it, man. I know, but uh, I just have to tell you that all the time. Okay. All right. Now, I'm getting away again. And the one, he's cool, because he said, you broke the law, and specifically this thing. Now, the other guy, look, I got a wife and kid. I don't want to hear that crap at all, man. I don't want to get involved emotionally with this. Uh, what do you mean I want to hear that crap? Do I have to do that to you? Bam. Then it got very sticky. No. You ever say the word? No. Never said honest to God. Never said the word? Never. How long are you married? 18 years. You ever chip your wife? Never. Never one time in 18 years you chip it down your leg, never one time. Then I love you. Because you're a spiritual guy, but if you're lying, you spend some dead time in purgatory. Now, we really got really into it, into it. Now, get in the court, the same bus, the judge, Aaron Avramitz, a red-headed junkyard Jew, a real fabissiner with thick fingers and a homemade glass eye. Tough old, right? He comes in, blah, blah. So, swear that he didn't, what he say? Your Honor, he said blah, blah, blah. The judge, he said blah, blah, blah. Then the guy really yented it up. That's right. I didn't believe it. There was a guy up on the stage in front of women in a mixed audience saying, blah, blah, blah. The judge. Oh, this I never heard. Blah, blah, blah. He said, blah, blah, blah. He said, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's in the minutes. I'm not going to lie to you. All right. The DA. The guy said, blah, blah, blah. Look at him. He's smug. He's not going to repent. Then they dug something. They sort of like saying, blah, blah, blah. Because they said it a few extra times. Oh, look, do me a favor, too, because uh, just this is very self-indulgent, but never applaud, because it really breaks my pace, and I hate it, because I don't know what to do. I can't smile like when I'm in the We don't want you to do something funny, and that's not, so I don't do it anymore. Now, they got so embarrassed, blah, 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 the bailiff is yelling. What do you say? Shut up, you blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they were yelling in other courts. What do you say? Blah, blah, blah. God damn, it's good to say blah, 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 that blah, 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 that blah, 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 that blah, 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 that blah, blah. Okay, so we're back from that clip. That was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Reminds you of a young Jello Biafra, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> On trial for the penis landscape in the Frankenstein yeah. album or Franken Frank Christ, Christ album cover. Yeah. yeah. So uh, good stuff, man. I, you know, it, it, he's warmed on me. 
a little yeah. bit. I got it. The first, the first, first time you set me down in front of this guy, I was like, "What? What's the big deal?" Right. I was right. expecting George Carlin or something right. like that far out. But right. when when I realized just how much he had to go through just to say this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that and like and like we've been saying, you know, Lenny Bruce going through what he went through. In order to say, in order to fight for his right to free speech, is really what it come down to for him. It was a free, a freedom of speech issue. I mean, they don't put people in jail for saying words anymore. Right, and you know, this is right when the whole Berkeley free speech movement was going on, right? And uh, Mario Savio and all that stuff. Probably in late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, you know, that might have happened a little bit after that, but I can see how this sort of thing would be a catalyst. To, Big figure in the beat generation, sort of going down the yeah. tubes over it. You know? And the, the thing about Lenny Bruce is he went down fighting to the last second, and it took a mental toll and it took a physical toll. And yeah, he became an addict and yeah, a junkie, right? Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. He became a junkie. This so this next clip is I think a little further down the line where he is, unlike the blah 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 clip where he's sort of you know off the cuff telling a story about being in court. This next clip, I mean, he is reading court transcripts and this is his act at this point in his career you know yeah imagine you're a businessman sitting having a martini to this right. you know right. like you're there for a comedian you know you're there for a comic show I mean, yeah where you know whereas in 1960 he's playing uh like the peak of his career he's playing carnegie hall like a uh you know a show while it's snowing outside and he's filled up carnegie hall by the time we get to this point people are walking out of his act in the small nightclubs that would actually let him come perform He's hooked, he's strung out on on drugs. You know he's his his wife. He, him and his wife have divorced. Um, his wife is also on you know drugged out somewhere else. And so you know Lenny's trying to keep his life together. Still, he has all these legal bills. He's not getting any work. And you can you can hear it in this next clip how how he's suffering from it. On October the twenty third, nineteen sixty two. At approximately 10 p.m., Sergeant Klein and Detective Frawley and Shire attended location of use Suspects Act. Suspects Act primarily centered around sexual activities of various sorts. In one anecdote, the suspect described an individual as a CO, sorry, uh, a term used to indicate the act of oral copulation. Boy, it's weird how you heard just that. It's... Uh, Various descriptive words such as bastard, asshole, goddamn were interjected at various times during the performance. Okay, on October the 24th, 1962, at approximately 10 p.m., Sergeant Block and Klein attended Suspects Bruce's show. As a result of what's transpired on the previous dates mentioned, District Attorney Richard Hecht was contacted and requested to attend the show for expert advice. <laughs> Which he did. On this date, suspect Bruce's act was similar in content to those performances previously mentioned. At one period, suspect started complaining about suspects that are complaining to the person controlling the stage lights that they were too bright. After a brief period during the lights were not dimmed, suspect looked up to the control booth and hollered, where is that dwarf motherfucker? <laughs> he subsequently bent over to the first table and said, he thinks I'm kidding. In one of his anecdotes relating to New York policemen dressed up as, a, as women to apprehend mashes, he stated, this would never stop a real rape artist because some of those cops really have nice asses. <laughs> and I didn't say this. He had really taken out of contact. What I said, I said there are many trans... Think how they hear. Not, they, they, 
Here's what I said. There are many transvestites posing as policemen. There's a big difference. And I said, and they are doing this to thwart... Oh, really? Well, I hope they got a big van. You're all going, you know. Uh, the, uh, I said, all right, to thwart rapists and... Uh, Oh, and, and it, it would be rather bizarre if they were dedicated rapists and it didn't matter if they... That's all. And then they got all that things going. They heard it. On previous dates, as well as this date, the audience consisted of approximately 50 to 60 patrons. Mostly, many of them were females, both young and old. After the completion of the suspects shown on this date, undersigned deputies conferred with District Attorney Hecht who had viewed the show, deputies were advised by Mr. Hecht that there was sufficient evidence at the time to warrant the issuance of a complaint and arrested, and he handcuffed me and took me away in a patrol wagon. Now, uh, I don't want to get arrested anymore. I don't like it. So, okay, that was the, that was the last Lenny Bruce clip we've actually got for tonight. There's actually there's a lot more stuff out there. Now, um, just a, a little bit about, a little bit more about his last years. So by 1966, he'd been blacklisted from nearly every nightclub in the U.S. Um, most of the owners feared prosecution for obscenity. So his last performance was on uh, June 25th, 1966, at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco, on a bill with Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. So that was his, actually his last show, he opened for Frank Zappa. The performance was not remembered fondly by Bill Graham, who described Bruce as whacked out on amphetamines, and finished his set emotionally disturbed. Zappa asked Bruce to sign his draft card, but the suspicious Bruce refused. So then on August 3rd, 1966, he was found dead at the age of 40 in the bathroom of his Hollywood Hills home at 8825 Hollywood Boulevard. A syringe and burned bottle cap were found nearby along with various other narcotics paraphernalia. His official cause of death was acute morphine poisoning caused by an accidental overdose. Um, in fact, he was still such a social pariah and perceived in the media and by uh, you know, law enforcement and the judicial system as a criminal that the, the local police allowed reporters to come in one by one to take pictures of his dead, bloated body laying there on the floor with a needle sticking out of his arm. And so... In many ways, like his, I mean, that's, to me, that's desecration. You know what I mean? Seriously. Like, these people are pretty much rejoicing that Lenny Bruce is dead. Right, and this guy's a great artist. Exactly. You know, one of the artists of his, one of the greatest comedic artists of his generation. Well. So, yeah, so the point of this. That's and, a happy ending. That's comedy for well, you. Well, luckily, this isn't the ending of the show, right? Because, I mean, what, what, what happens after Lenny Bruce, then, is that, you know, Lenny Bruce is, like, the final martyr for comedy. You know, when's last time someone was arrested for saying a word on stage? Like, it does, like I said, it doesn't happen anymore. Partly because of what happened to Lenny Bruce. Now, he ended up being pardoned posthumously, actually. I believe this was actually sort of recently. The very least, uh, some, of his, some of his convictions were overturned in the 70s. So not until after his, he was long gone did people actually acknowledge that what we were doing to Lenny Bruce was wrong. Isn't he on the cover of Sergeant Pepper? Probably. Probably. I think he is. Anyway. Um, what year was Sergeant Pepper released? 67. So it was right after he died then. Yeah. He's actually, he's mentioned in some, John, uh, like, John Lennon Yoko Ono song. I don't remember which one, but. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And this rock and roll theme, I think, leads us right into the Bill Hicks thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're going to go to a break. 
And uh, once we get back, we'll we'll tear right into dear old Bill Hicks. Sounds good. See you Stick when we around. Get back. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. So, we're back here on Out There Radio. Joe, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. This is actually, get this, get this. I know this is going to fry out your brains and maybe your <laughs> iPod, too, but this is a different day than the previous recording. You were just hearing, like, what? two minutes ago. It's a different day. What? It is a different day. You mean when we were talking about Lenny Bruce? Yeah. It's a different day? It's a different day. I no. Mean, yes, it is. No. Oh, No, yes, I refuse to believe this. Well, whatever. I'm, I, I am here to confuse <laughs> the audience any way I can, and this is... This is how I'm doing it. I'm sure they can probably tell a slight tonal difference in our voice. Perhaps, today. perhaps. But we so, are excited nonetheless. Yeah, we were just talking about Lenny Bruce for the first segment. And for this next segment, actually, um, before we talk about our next topic, I came across a book called Lenny Bruce, the Comedian as Social Critic and Secular Moralist. This perfectly describes, I think, um, the topic of our next segment. Raymond, who's Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks was born in Valdosta, Georgia. In uh, the early 1960s, December 16th, 1961, and uh, moved around the South, settled in Austin, Texas, and from a young age worked on stage acts, worked on being a comedian. He saw uh, stand-up comedians performing on television, and he liked what he saw. And it comes out in his work. His experience was, you know, growing up on the tube. I don't think... Uh, Lenny Bruce, who we were talking about earlier, had the same experience. Would have been too, yeah. Exactly. Before uh, television. Exactly. But Hicks talks about this sort of – he uses TV references a lot of times Mm. as sort of a, you know, the the mass culture as a way of sort of getting through to people. But let me, me, you know, be very clear about this. It's about way more than that. It's mostly his comedy is about looking for things about the world that are irrational. Right. He talks about this. Right. He says, you, I look for things about the world that are irrational. I point them out and stick my finger in them and, you know, make fun of it for a while. And hopefully he would say he would have an experience with the audience where they would get something out of it and we would all sort of realize how screwed up the world is, yeah. I guess, at the and same time. This that, is really the point of, of – similarity between Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks, I think. You know, the idea that they're both social critics, secular moralists. They look for the things in society that just don't make any sense and hopefully find something funny about them. So well, Bill, Bill Hicks obviously was really good at this. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, may, many of you may already be totally familiar with him, may may have heard every clip that we play tonight. But if you haven't, we're, we're going to um, try to lay out the basics for you tonight and some of the best social commentary pieces. This is sort of a review mm-hmm. like we did of Lenny Bruce. To start with, you well, we heard that clip earlier in the show. Time, mm-hmm. It's time to evolve. Right, right. Bill was always about the evolution of ideas. That mm-hmm. was his main, his main theme, and he wanted, I think, to evolve our ideas about a lot of different topics. Strange, not I guess, not so strangely, the same sort of themes and topics we were talking about with Lenny Bruce: drugs, crime, you know, art, mm-hmm. these sorts of things, politics, religion, religion. They all yep. come up. They all come up. Censorship. Yep. All of these things come up in his work as well. He is farther out there than Lenny, than Lenny Bruce, I'd say. But 
that trail was blazed for him, yeah. as we were speaking of. And maybe earlier. not for his time, because Lenny Bruce, for his time, was pretty far out there. In the same way Bill Hicks, for his time, and for his time at this point now is like 15, 20, 25 years ago. Was even was he's still far out there? Absolutely, you know? he's still far out there today. And he he toured as a stand up comic for sixteen years. I think he put out five uh, comedy albums. He appeared on David Letterman, you know, more than ten times, and on a bunch of other uh, major shows. I think he got his break on one of those Rodney Dangerfield uh, shows oh, right. back on HBO when yeah. he would like feature a bunch of new comics yeah. each time. He used to know? tour with Sam Kinison, I believe. Yeah. Who okay. was also part of the Rodney Dangerfield things. Remember Sam Kinison was in uh, Back to School. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Kinison, I mean, I guess a lot of people are probably shaking their fists at us for not including Kinison in the show today, but if it, you know, he's another one along these same lines and you can find out a lot about him, but you know, to be honest with you, we have a lot that we want to play. We, we, we really don't want to talk too much. Yeah, let's right? get into this. Let's let Bill Hicks this. talk for so, himself. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the topic of drugs. Yes. You know. Okay, so uh, enjoy this. This is uh, Gifts of Forgiveness. But I've always found religion to be fascinating. Ideas such as uh, how people act on their beliefs. Pro-lifers murdering doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Pro-lifers murdering people. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's irony on the base level, but I like it. You know what I mean? It's real basic irony, but still, you can get a hoot. It's a hoot. It's a fucking hoot. You're pro-life and we'll kill your ass. That's what fundamentalism breeds, though. No irony, you see. They take the word literally, you know. Fundamentalist, yeah. Well... Once again, I recommend a healthy dose of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, three weeks ago, two of my friends and I went to a ranch in Fredericksburg, Texas and took what Terrence McKenna calls a heroic dose. Five dried grams. Let me tell you, our third eye was squeegeed quite cleanly. glad they're against the law. Because you know what happened when I took them? I laid in a field of green grass for four hours going, my God, I love everything. <laughs> the heavens parted, God looked down and rained gifts of forgiveness onto my being, healing me on every level, psychically, physically, emotionally. And I realized our true nature is spirit, not body, that we are eternal beings and God's love is unconditional and there's nothing we can ever do to change that. It is only our illusion that we are separate from God or that we are alone. In fact, the reality is we are one with God and he loves us. Now, if that isn't a hazard to this country, you see my point we're going to keep building nuclear weapons. You know what I mean? What's going to happen to the arms industry when we realize we're all one? <laughs> it's going to fuck up the economy. The economy that's fake anyway. <laughs> Which would be a real bummer, you know. 
You can see why the government's cracking down on the idea of experiencing unconditional love. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it interesting that two drugs that are legal, alcohol and cigarettes, two drugs that do absolutely nothing for you whatsoever, and drugs that grow naturally upon this planet, drugs that open your eyes up to make you realize how you're being fucked every day of your life. Those drugs are against law. Wow. Coincidence? I don't know. I'm sure their motives are pure. But, uh, uh, isn't that great? Mushrooms grow on cow turds. I love that. I think that's why you giggle the first hour. Lift me up out of this illusion, Lord. Heal my perception that I may know only reality and only you. Stuff like that. I took mushrooms and went to Astro World. Now I had a really bad time. You're a moron. They are sacred. Go to nature. Wants to be on the black dragon tripping. I would fucking be puking, man, about 50 yards with each hurl of the black dragon. Possessed dragon. Uh, I just think it's interesting to see how people act on their, their beliefs, you know what I mean? Because your beliefs, they're just that. They're nothing. There's how you were taught and raised. They, that doesn't make them real. That's why I always recommend a psychedelic experience because it... It does make you realize everything you learned is, in fact, just learned and not necessarily true. Oh, man. You see why I said that we don't really need to say anything? Right, right, we just right. need to let this man speak and, uh, as if from beyond the grave. Yeah, so, so some people might not know that Bill Hicks passed away in the, in the 90s. Do we yeah, talk, we'll talk uh, about that right now? Well, yeah, let's... Um, his the date was February the twenty sixth, nineteen ninety four. He died of cancer, yeah. and unfortunately, he's sort of at the peak of his career. Yeah. When yeah. when he uh, when he passed away, it wasn't like Lenny Bruce. There wasn't a, a bur- there wasn't a fade away period. Right. Like he burned right out. There wasn't know? any intense harassment or anything right. like and that. And it's really interesting because he, you know his heroes all seem to be rock stars. You know mm-hmm. he always would come in uh, on stage to Jimi Hendrix or Metallica, something like that. You know something really rock and roll and he would talk about rock and roll you know and he, he sort of went the way of a famous rock star you except know? without the drug overdoses so, right except without the, <laughs> the vomit yeah yeah but um i think he died of pancreatic cancer yeah that that's yeah. correct a lot of people think he died of lung cancer right. because all he did he did a lot of uh, cigarette smoking jokes yep. but not so not so so yeah you sort of get his feelings about drugs there yeah. you know sort yeah. of a proponent i guess but um, an interesting historical figure, nonetheless. Don't think that we are encouraging the use of psychedelic mushrooms. That would be illegal. That's right. That's right. 
So, but let's go on. He's he's not just about the um the 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 hypocrisy of our of our drug laws against drugs. Not just that. He saw a lot of the same hypocrisy that we have seen on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, a lot of people might consider him a conspiracy theor- a conspiracy theorist <laughs> comedian. What kind of accent was that? I don't know. I kind of hiccup. Conspiracy theorist. A lot of people would consider Bill a conspiracy theorist because he would talk about things in his act that were on the fringe. Mm-hmm. Waco, something mm-hmm. that, you know, he was in the high, sort of the end point of high point of his career when the Waco thing happened. He was, he visited the siege. Okay. So, oh, he was there yeah, like he, when it yeah, when was going on? Yeah, he visited while it went on, yeah. And he apparently got a hold of, we talked about this source earlier in our Waco show, um, Waco is a Big Lie. It was the first sort of underground documentary about the Waco tragedy that came out. And I, and I think he took what he saw in that and ran with it. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in, in years past, he'd also talked about the JFK assassination a lot. And he talked about how much he liked the film JFK because that all, was also something that, sort of came out during sort of his high tide, right, you know. Right. So we got two clips coming up, one about Waco. Okay, and um well, I mean, you know, you probably agree with Bill on this one totally. That we we definitely do on a lot of this. Um but um it's interesting to see how he's taken the source Waco the big lie and sort of turned it into his comedy act. Right. And then another clip about JFK and quote unquote the elite. So uh we'll be Back here in a minute. Enjoy more Bill Hicks. Down in Australia when the Waco debacle ended. And I was very bummed because I thought that was the most fascinating story of the year, bar none. And everyone was so upset with that guy because he called himself Jesus, right? And I said, come on, you know, the guy's real name is Vernon. <laughs> Let him be Jesus for a couple of months. You know what I mean? What's it to you? Who's going to follow a Messiah named Vernon, anyway? you got to be Jesus. That's part of the Messiah deal. And Vernon's fake. Yeah, yeah, what are we doing? I'm following Vernon. Where y'all going? Did a drive-in. <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs in the movie was real good. Vernon's going. He's my Messiah. He said he'd get us some beef jerky. I follow Vernon. Isn't that weird, though? People always snap and think they're Jesus. How come no one ever snaps and thinks they're Buddha? (laughs) Particularly in America, where more people resemble Buddha than Jesus. (laughs) I'm Buddha. You're Bubba. I'm Buddha now. All I gotta do is change two letters on my belt. Bubba, Buddha. Come over here and read my scripture. Vernon's a false prophet. Buddha Bubba's the real man. But I was in Australia, and the Australians had a big contingency at the Branch Davidian compound, and I'm from Texas, so they were very curious. They were asking me all about it. You know, Oh, this guy's so weird, isn't he? This guy, Koresh, is so weird. And I was thinking, well, wait a minute. Frustrated rock musician with a messianic complex, armed to the teeth, and trying to fuck everything that moves. 
I don't know how to tell you this. It sounds like every one of my friends in Austin. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be an isolated incident. <laughs> Waiting for Will Sexton to build a compound somewhere. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what. It's an Austin name. I picked it out of a hat. Pick your own Austin guitarist and have fun with the joke. But I thought the whole thing was an absolute disaster and a debacle. And if any of y'all have been watching public access and seen the footage, which was not shown on any major news media source, of the tanks, Bradley tanks, shooting fire into the compound, which I think went against the party line story, which was that they shot tear gas in order to help the mothers and the children to get out, to convince them while they're destroying the compound. They're getting the mom and children's out, you see. The soft sell is definitely the FBI's way. And anyway, so the major news said that the Branch Davidians started the fire. If I'm not mistaken, correct me when I go off the story here. And, and, and that the Branch Davidians started the fire. And all, we, all they did was shoot in tear gas. And yet I've seen with my own eyes and my <laughs> squeegee third eye footage of a Bradley tank shooting fire into the compound, which... Isn't that odd that no major news source has picked up on that? How do you think that's newsworthy? Because that basically means that the government, from the FBI, the ATF, up to Janet Reno, including Clinton, are um, liars and murderers. <laughs> and wait, there's more. And, I mean, the implications are vast. Um, you know, and if, they had, if the ATF and FBI had any honor, if there was any honor left or dignity on this planet, they would commit Harry Carey while first uh, admitting what they've done. They'd kill themselves because they are liars and murderers. Yeah. Oh, we had to bust the compound down because we heard child molestation was going on. Yeah, if that's true, how come we don't see Bradley tanks knocking down Catholic churches? I'm talking if child molestation is actually your concern. Well, there's a methamphetamine lab on this. No, there wasn't. And not one child came out of there saying they were, they were molested. Not one child. They don't want the voice of reason spoken, folks, because otherwise we'd be free, and otherwise we wouldn't believe their fucking horseshit lies, nor the fucking propaganda machine, the mainstream media, and buy their horseshit products that we don't fucking need and become a third-world consumer fucking plantation, which is what we're becoming. Fuck them. They are liars and murderers. All governments are liars and murderers. And I am now Jesus. Now, and this is my compound. I have this feeling, man, because you know there's a handful of people actually run everything. That's true. It's provable. It's not a fuck. I'm not a conspiracy nut. It's provable. Handful, very small elite run and own these corporations, which include the mainstream media. I have this feeling who's ever elected president, like Clinton was, no matter what your promises you promise on the campaign trail, blah, 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 when you win, you go into this smoky room with the 12 industrialist capitalist scum fucks who got you in there, and you're in this smoky room in this little... Uh, 
uh, film uh, screen comes down, and a big guy in a cigar roll to the film. And it's a shot of a Kennedy assassination from an angle you've never seen before. It looks suspiciously off uh, the grassy knoll. And then the film, the screen goes up, and the lights come up, and they go to the new president. Any questions? Uh, just what my agenda is. First, we bomb Baghdad. You got it. Okay, we're back here on Out There Radio. Man. We hope you're enjoying our Bill Hicks uh, tribute. I wish I could have like laid in a monologue that eloquent during our Waco episodes, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The ra- I mean, I guess that's the great thing about him being a social critic is that he can just bring the rage, you know? People would get all, if we, right. um, if we tried to just rant. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like his, you know, his comedy style, though, was he, he had bits, but he was also kind of stream of consciousness in many ways. You know what I mean? Like he had stuff, material prepared. But as far as the way he, you know, went, and maybe a lot of comedians do this, I don't know. As far as the way he segued to different material or talked about different things, and maybe he didn't say the exact same thing the exact same way every time, but um, he, he seemed more of like a stream of consciousness kind of speaker. And he's know? always good about sort of boomeranging a joke back around 20, 30 minutes later. You right. notice that um, both of the last two clips we played referenced squeegeeing your third eye, right. you know? right. Both of those clips come from um, Rant in E Minor, one of his comedy albums. I think his final comedy album. It was released posthumously. Yeah, I released yeah. after his death. So this was material. He, I think he had, he knew he had cancer. He wasn't looking very good. I think when a lot of this material was recorded. And mm-hmm. So you see, like the venom really comes out. This is that's sort of as far as he went down the. Um, in the political road, I guess. We have one more clip well, about... Well, but he, he talked a lot about, like, Republicans, how much he hated Republicans and the, and the Christian right and oh, yeah. all of that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, mean, I think he was very, very political in many ways. Oh, you know? I, I definitely agree. Yeah. But saying something like, all governments are liars and murderers, <laughs> yeah. like, that's really... Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's That's out there. Yeah. You know, let's yeah. agree. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's a lot farther than he went in some of his previous albums. Not much farther. You know, right. Arizona Bay, for example, right. the album that came out before that. And I think we have a clip off of Arizona Bay tonight as well. Um, that one's interesting for the same reason, but he does not. He doesn't go as far with it. I mean, hmm. yeah, he he celebrates the death of the Republican elephant, right, right, right. But right. he doesn't go too much into it. Now he does talk about the JFK thing, right, and which you heard a little bit about, and I thought that was interesting. You know. It sort of gives me heart, okay, after spending so much time in conspiracy theories to see that, like, for Bill, the bottom line on this whole thing was, my God, look how obvious all this is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, no fear in his voice. No E-prime, no hesitation, nothing. Just boom. Right. You know? Right. And that's, that's, I think, important to have, you know? And that's, that's somewhere that I wish I could go. Sometimes, as an artist, you know, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. Anyway, so let's let's play one more clip. It's about the new world order, as he says, <laughs> and uh, his feelings about Clinton being just another, you know, just another one of the old boys. Right. So. But you know, I knew Clinton was in with the big boys when he bombed Iraq. Do you remember that two-day news story? 
Clinton launches 22 cruise missiles on Baghdad in retaliation for the alleged failed assassination attempt against George Bush. We launched 22 $3 million a piece cruise missiles to Baghdad, killing six innocent people. I think that was a little overdone, you know? You know what we should have done? We should have embarrassed the Iraqis. We should have assassinated Bush. <laughs> and said, that's how you do it, towelhead. Don't fuck with us. And see, if Bush had been the one who had died, there would have been no loss of innocent life. <laughs> Yeah, so you see, I mean, that would have saved us uh, $100 million. And I love that, too, how uh, the media called it, uh, everyone in the government media called it a cowardly act on the Iraqis' part because some Iraqi guy was going to drive a Toyota car bomb and blow himself up in the process of trying to kill the President of the United States because that's all they can really do since we are the imperialist rulers of the New World Order. And we call that a cowardly act. Meanwhile, we're launching cruise missiles 200 miles away from floating iron islands. Who are the cowards again? Okay. This is the material, by the way, that's kept me virtually anonymous in America. You know, no one fucking knows me. No one gives a fuck. Meanwhile, they're draining the Pacific and putting up bench seats for Carrot Tops next Showtime special. Yeah, uh, that's, that, that's, that's the great. one that gets you kicked off college radio <laughs> right there. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take good. some clever beeping out, the, I think. You, you know, um, it's interesting that my, while many people, and this is actually something that could also have been said about Lenny Bruce and actually has been said, uh, but while many people upon first listening to Bill Hicks might think, oh, he's just sort of like, you know, following liberal party line, like clearly that's not the case. I mean, he would have been repulsive not only to you know conservatives but also to sort of the the left gatekeepers as it were you know right but he makes you smile in your heart oh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so what do we got next oh man well let's talk a little bit more about bill's illustrious career he had some interesting travels you know he always talked about how he would play the the um, comedy pouch in possum ridge arkansas <laughs> right, every year right and so, uh, you know, he never played Carnegie Hall, I don't think. He never got that big. But uh, he, would, he got to the point where he could play small comedy clubs throughout the United States, and he could play halls in Great Britain. Uh, British audiences, for some reason, reacted much better to Bill than Americans, maybe because they're a little smarter. No. Um, anyway, maybe because, I don't know, more, more ready for that sort of thing? Right. Are we so dumbed down here that we're not ready? For- well, people, I mean, part of it is he's criticizing the U.S. government, you know, in particular. So, I mean, that might play well and play better in other countries, especially in the U.K. I, I can understand that. I can understand yeah. that. He had multiple appearances on Letterman, okay? Mm-hmm. And his final appearance was completely censored. It was completely taken off the air over a very, like, well, what you would think would be a very sort of innocent JFK assassination joke. Is that what got the that whole bit, the yeah, whole yeah. performance yeah, he, edited he, out? What he, what he said uh. basically was that he didn't understand why Christians wore crosses, okay? <laughs> right. And he, he compared it to like somebody like going up to Jackie Onassis with a pendant that was a, shaped like a rifle on it. <laughs> Just thinking of John. Just thinking of John, Jackie, right. or whatever. And I mean, you see how innocent that is, you know? But that sort of... That and I think a few pro-life jokes, jokes against pro-lifers, got him, got his uh, whole performance excised from a 
episode of David Letterman. And um, he was never asked to appear again after that either. And that was it. Well, no, but he gave an interview with the New Yorker after that, which when he just totally railed CBS, right, totally, right. you know, tore them a new one. Letterman ended up expressing regret for cutting out that whole performance, but they never asked him back. Right, but they still aired the uh, pro-life commercial the next week. Uh, okay. Okay, and okay. so, yeah, Bill watched the show. He was yeah. in the audience. Yeah. So, or, or, you know, he was an audience member. He'd watch it on TV, and, you know, when I, he saw that the next week. He knew exactly what had... He knew that what he had been talking about all these years had gotten him, too, you know, yeah. in that way. Yeah. So, but he always said that he never felt like it was him, you know, up there when he'd do Letterman because it would take the, sort of take the claws out of him, right. he'd say. Right, So, well, let, and so here's a clip from the last interview Bill ever gave um, when he talks about what happened, the whole Letterman situation. Well, for, for um, as far as the Letterman deal went, again, um, the material I had prepared was approved and reapproved by a segment producer. I performed the show on October 9th, Friday. The show was filmed and taped, and when I got back to the hotel, I was given a call by the producer saying, we, had to, we have to excise your entire segment from the show. When I asked him why, he said, CBS, I love this, standards and practices. <laughs> Don't you love these networks have standards? <laughs> yeah, well, what is it when you're when you're airing beer commercials 24 hours a day with half naked women with the beer in their crotches? What <laughs> standards do you have exactly? Mm-mm. Anyway, they deem the material unsuitable for the audience. In other words, here's what they're saying: you are a contemptible herd. You will not be able to comprehend these are jokes or ideas. Simply, that's all they are. And you, the contemptible herd, must be kept from one man stating his ideas. Because if one man does it, well, that might inspire other people to go, you know what, I have some interesting ideas, too, which I've never had uh, confirmed. But I'm not not afraid to state them anymore. They want you to be a docile, apathetic herd of consumers, of corporate products. That's what happened on Letterman. No sour grapes on my part. Again, I think it's rather a badge of honor. On the very same stage, Elvis was censored from the waist down. I was censored entirely, or at least from the neck up. The important part. And America continues to be the land of freedom. Don't you forget that. Yeah. As long as you got the money to buy it. As long as you got the money. Yeah. Well, you know. Am they... I yelling? Oh, no. It's, it's, I feel like I'm talking it's to people. It's expressions, heartfelt. I feel like I'm talking to people like at their homes, but we're not using mic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's They got kind of glasses weird, against right? the wall. Okay, I hear Bill yelling. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's uh, it's wild how they, how they choose who gets on and uh, who gets to say what they want to say. You know. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what happened. When I was a kid, starting out, I would watch TV and I go, "Boy, if they like that guy," I was looking at comics. If they like that guy, they're gonna love me. And that was the impetus that led me to work on comedy and start and continue. And then you get out to Los Angeles and you come to the cold realization. That from that kid's wish, boy, if they love this guy, they're going to love me. They don't want me. (laughs) They don't want you if you have an idea that doesn't correspond to their propaganda. And it's everyone in L.A. is disillusioned by that. But I, I, I know, and I no longer am because I got it in focus and I know what to do with it now. So. So that should shed a little light on what happened on Letterman. Yeah, yeah. So it really doesn't surprise me. Right. You know. Right. Should, shouldn't surprise you at all. So, but even with such a such a uh, setback as that, like I said, Bill's success in Britain 
sort of carried him through at the end of his career, and he signed a deal to do a television series in Britain uh, shortly before he died, actually. So he, he, I don't think he ever got to, to finally produce it. It's certainly not available. Um, but let's, let's play a clip of him talking about what, what he wanted for that television sh- show, and you'll find that it's... Real quick, Raymond, do, you know, do you know if the... Because a, a pilot was filmed, evidently, but I, I've... Do you know if it's available anywhere? I've never seen it. I don't know. You could check the internet. It's called Counts of the Netherworld. Counts of the Netherworld. And here's yeah. here's Bill Hicks talking a little bit about uh, what his ideas for the show were. Uh, Capsize, you're on the air. We've got Bill Hicks here. What can we do for you? Hi. I'm, hi. I was just calling to see um, if Bill could tell me a little bit about the premise of his show on, on the uh, British television and if there's any chance of us being able to see that back here in the States. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, The premise of the show, now hang with me. The show takes place, it's called The Counts, The Counts of the Netherworld. And the premise of the show is that Carl Jung had a theory that all mankind shares a collective unconscious, which I agree with. Sure. But I don't think it's supposed to be unconscious. As the counts of this netherworld, we will be in a Victorian-era salon which in my mind's eye is the center of our collective unconscious, where ideas are discussed, evolution is discussed, and the evolution of ideas is discussed. And we will have on guests who have enlightened us so that we can enlighten the audience so that the unconscious becomes conscious. That's the premise of the show. Now, you tell me if you think you're going to see it here. I'm now, pretty enlightened actually, about the discussion actually, of evolution. I, I, I yeah. think, yeah, evolution is a great discussion. And the evolution of ideas. I'll, I'll tell you how this works. For instance, why is the drug czar of this country, well, why do we have a drug czar, A. B, why is he a cop? Why isn't he a guy who's been through recovery, who has experienced drug and alcohol addiction, and could perhaps deal with this problem through the eyes of compassion rather than the eyes of... Um, well, whatever their eyes are, that it's a, that you're breaking the law. People who are addicts are not criminals. In my mind's eye, they're sick. And I don't think throwing sick people in jail is going to heal them. See, that would be the evolution of an idea. Here's another one. Confucius said, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And he said it in this enigmatic way to state that there is no sound. And you know what I say? Go. Fuck Confucius. Let's move on. Yes. Evolution has not stopped. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping it comes. I hope we sell it back to HBO. So we should all lose our thumbs, evolve, just move on down the line. We're, we're going. It didn't stop, man. We didn't. It didn't stop with us growing opposable thumbs. Okay. Now we're at the point where imagination and reality are right there together. What we imagine, we can create, and that goes for heaven, and that goes for hell, and it is our choice, and we can do anything, literally. But that is the theme of our show, and I hope, hopefully, HBO will will air it because I think it'd be another great feather in their cap, along with Larry Sanders' show, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Counts of the Netherworld. Yeah, God, they need to revive that. They do. They do. So, anyway, we're we're running short oh, on time today, unfortunately. Yes, I know. We have, I think, one more clip. Yeah, we have a little surprise. Yeah, this is the end to roll out. Raymond got the opportunity to interview Lewis Black at Bonnaroo a couple a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah, I, I was 
fortunate enough to be able to go and do some uh, field reporting work at the Bonnaroo Music Festival, Bonnaroo 2007 Music Festival. And uh, not only do they have music, hippie jam bands and such there, (laughs) (laughs) but they also have a comedy tent with very good comedians. And this year it included Lewis Black and David Cross, David Tell, and a few others. And I got the opportunity to speak with Lewis Black for a few moments, and I asked him about Bill Hicks because... When I was outside of the festival, I, I'm looking, and I allude to this in the, in, in the clip you're about to hear, but I'm outside at the festival, right? And I'm looking on the wall, and there's all this stencil and graffiti going on, because I just let you graffiti the whole, the whole wall, you know, uh, the, you know, the actual wall around the whole uh, festival grounds. Anyway, I see a stenciled, spray-painted drawing, not drawing, but a stencil of Bill Hicks, and he's got the cigarette in his mouth, you know, and it says, open your eye. Oh, great. On it. So That's I great. was like, well, Bill's spirit lives here at Bonnaroo. And there were definitely a few eyes getting opened at that music <laughs> festival, <laughs> including and because of the band Tool. Okay. Right. Uh, famous right. hard rock band. I'm sure you've heard of them. They've won Grammys. They've had number one albums. Their music was influenced by Bill Hicks. I think they met and, you know, at least exchanged some ideas with Bill Hicks. And some of his stand-up is included on one of their songs, Third Eye, on the Enema album. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. That's right, 1996. Yeah, it won the Grammy album. for Best Hard Rock Performance. Yeah. And the song's Third Eye, it's all about prying open your third eye. And it has Bill Hicks talking at the beginning of it. So There's it, this actually little story about how, um, about how Tool got... I guess met Bill Hicks. They invited him to open a number of concerts for them on their 1993 Lollapalooza appearances. And I guess at one of them, Hicks famously asked the audience to look for a contact lens he'd lost. And thousands of people started looking around for its contact lens at Lollapalooza, right? Um, so I guess um, Maynard Keenan liked that joke so much, she repeated on a number of occasions. And they ended up using you know some of the Bill Hicks stuff from Arizona Bay on the closing track of third eye great great track and a lot of fun so yeah let's get around to this lewis black thing i got to talk to him briefly you know it's just a minute or two don't get don't get any ideas big ideas this is not a full-blown interview but it was a cool opportunity so here's uh the uh angriest comedian that i could find (laughs) lewis black Hey, this is Raymond Wiley with WUOG in Athens, Georgia. I'm here at uh, Bonnaroo 2007 with Lewis Black. How you doing, Lewis? I'm very good. Great, great. Um, so I just have a couple quick questions for you. Um, I was here last year, and you were here in these press conferences as well. What brings you back year after year to this festival? Well, the fact that I can uh, I get to see you know other comics I like. This year they offered me the possibility of bringing comics along, so that was really good. And I don't have to work as hard as I did the year before. And uh, and I love these bands, and I like music. You know. So which one of your friends did you bring along? I brought along um, Lynn Coplitz, Vanessa Mitchell, and John Bowman. And then plus I get to see Italis working, Dave Cross was working, Aziz, uh, Dimitri Martin tomorrow. You know, so it's, you know, and plus, um, I know, like last year, I got to meet, you know, the bands that are actually your fans of mine, and uh, that I'm fans of theirs, so it's nice to find out that they actually listen to me, because that, to me, is like a real honor. So. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And uh, one other thing, um, so I'm outside yesterday, and there's all these stencils, all this graffiti, and I see a graffiti of Bill Hicks' yeah. face that says, open your eye on it. Now, uh, a lot of people that, have, that I know that have listened to you and your work have sort of compared it yeah. as an influence on you. Do you think that uh, the spirit of Bill Hicks lives at a festival like this? Oh, yeah. You know, he'd had a good time at this. You know, it's right up his alley. 
so. You know, yeah. But actually, I'd never heard Bill Hicks until we never crossed paths. We never ran into each other. I didn't hear any of his stuff. I'd, I'd hear about him from friends. We both heard that we should meet each other. It's the weirdest thing, uh, uh, you know. It's just one of those things. It was like, well, I think you both got that same sort of righteous anger. Yeah, but, so. yeah that indignation. <laughs> well, but he played music. He was smart enough to play music. Well, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Good job, Raymond. Hey, you thanks. talked to Lewis Black. Thanks a lot, man. That's well, cool. you know, That's cool. if you get the opportunity, yep, do it. Exactly. Do it. And I just, exactly. I just want to throw this ball out to all of you guys, too. If you're still college age, you know, I'm just. this is just the gig at the local university radio right. station you can do that sort of thing yourself well it was a pre- you had a press pass yeah i, I yeah. was i was part of the press corps exactly yeah yeah so, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun there are perks to volunteering and, at a college station and if yeah. you're interested in this sort of musical i know music isn't does the musics and the rock and rolls aren't something that we <laughs> that we talk about on the show very much but if you if you're interested in that I've sort of thing I've never heard this stuff myself Yeah I know I man know well like. they say it's the devil's music right. but anyway if you're interested in that sort of stuff we're going to be putting out some sort of special one time podcast stream or something like that me and our fellow my fellow uh, WOG correspondent Jennifer Kolb. And uh, so stay tuned for that on the WOG website that'll be out in the next couple of weeks and you know you can get a little bit more of that action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, I think Bill Hicks' spirit lives on not just at that music festival. But in our show. But in our show. Absolutely. Hopefully in your hearts and, uh, you know, in, in the cleanliness of your third eye. <laughs> right, right. So We um, hope you've enjoyed this show on Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks. Yeah, we've yeah. had a lot of fun putting Absolutely. it together. It's, I know it's been a while since we've put out an episode, and to all of you who sent me emails saying that you were going through withdrawal it's uh, i was going through withdrawal too it's okay and we will go to episode 50 though don't worry yes there... we will go to all the way to episode 50 yeah. and we will continue creating awesome 40 and stuff after that yes. so i don't think we're yes. going anywhere but we could use your suggestions about what if you were us if you were raymond and joe right what would you do how right. would you rock it in yeah. the future, in 2008. That's right. So That's right. Uh, write us an email, let us know. Our email address is? OutThereRadio at gmail.com. Or you can send me an instant message, AOL Instant Messenger. My screen name is OutThereRadio. I'm logged on eh, some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, check out our website, check, www.OutThereRadio.net. Yep, it's got all the things that a, a show's website should have on yep. it, I guess. Yep. And um, also, if you had downloaded the last episode, episode 45, Manson in the Process, it is fixed. It is fixed. It is fixed right now. Awesome. You can re-download the file right now, uh, and there won't be the slow, oh, good. the slow effect on Tom Snyder and Charlie Manson's voice. <laughs> I know you thought we were just doing some Pink Floyd shit, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but we weren't. No, we weren't. We weren't. So anyway, uh, thanks we're, a lot for tuning in. And we're, we're also still accepting uh, best of clips, so. You know, put some stuff together, send it to us. I don't know, even if you just want to record something of your own to wish us a farewell. Whatever. Whatever. You know, we wanna, we wanna send us it. clips, so, even if it doesn't include anything of from our show. You're really dropping the ball on this, Joe. Am I? You're, why? like, totally letting this slide. It, this is for the last episode, man. Yeah. It's got to be awesome stuff. It can't be Joe Schmo's spoken word piece, man. Look, if I say if our listeners want to send, if, if our listener Joe Schmo wants to, you know, p- make like a twenty-second farewell clip, 
to oh, us. Oh yeah, I'd play that. Yeah, that's I'd all I'm that. saying, man. I'm not okay. saying send us like a three hour spoken like spoken word piece about the evil alien overlords. Although we would listen to that. Release that you as did. your own yeah, podcast. Exactly. Put it on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, <something>. yeah. <laughs> anyway, new file is up. Yep. You know our web address now. Yep. Uh, we'll be back next week. And oh, I hope you enjoyed our use of the free use law today. <laughs> right. Because you ain't fair getting... Use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fair use. Yeah, Free use. The fair use law. I hope you've enjoyed our use yeah. of the fair use law today. If you object to it, then contact our lawyers. Which we don't have. What? Um, Wait, shh. Oh. <laughs> you can't let that out. But yeah, live live it up today. Live up your nice clips of other people talking right now, because next week, oh, it's it's going to be a hardcore occult lecture. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. And Austin Gandy will be back. So we want to thank him. We want to thank you. Oh, we want to thank you especially. I know I'm going on and on, but we want to thank you especially for making us one of the top 100 religion and spirituality podcasts in both Britain and the United States. Today. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah. we do appreciate it. So. uh Tune in next week. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com. Lift me up out of this illusion, Lord. Heal my perception that I may know only reality and only you.